0: Dave Ferguson, pastor of the College Dale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in scripture, to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Happy Sabbath to you. Sabbath. Welcome to Art Sabbath. We are continuing and now concluding our series on the book of Job. Today's title is Unfinished, and that's probably appropriate for no other reason, because how could we possibly have exhausted all there is to root around in in the book of Job. I often feel this way as we finish a series on a section of scripture that it is, in large part, unfinished. There's more we could do, more to go. Today, a very specific understanding, though, but Art Sabbath, this is the second one that we've had. A couple of years ago, as we studied the book of Genesis and creation, we had an Art Offering Sabbath, and it was so rewarding. People were so engaged, you were so involved. If you remember back, those that were here, would remember we had an extended stage that particular day, and it was just covered with all sorts of art that people brought of different sorts. And at one point, we actually had people uh, get up and come and experience it firsthand as they cycled through the sanctuary. This is a little different time, and so we're behaving just a touch differently. Some of you are aware that we've been collecting your art artifacts, your art pieces. And uh, individuals are sending in pictures. Of course, we have some representations right here that we are on display. But I just want you to know, number one, we're going to keep this Google Drive location open so that if you, like somebody, I had two or three people say to me as we talked between services from the first service, oh, I forgot. I wanted to do that. And my response is, good news. You can still do it. You can still send something in. If you are a child in this room, you'll notice some of the artwork of other children. You might have something you and your mom and dad would love to submit. We're going to keep this alive and active, and so you might want to write down that Bitly uh, location, 2021 Art Sabbath, and you'd be able to go there and look at new submissions as we keep going. Uh, And uh, if you're wondering, where do I send them? How do I do this? Pretty easy. I'll just say it to you now. Church at southern.edu. You can remember that it was at church that we were talking about it. <laughs> University southern.edu. You send in to that location. and We'll keep kind of putting any artifacts there. Now I brought, uh, I brought one of my own, a couple of my own here today. As some of you recall and know, I really enjoy building furniture. I haven't done as much recently. But this is a piece. This is actually the bottom of a cabinet That I made for my mom that has a top that has shelving and that sort of thing. So it's kind of got book shelving and this sort of thing with uh, file cabinetry and and that sort of thing for her office. And uh, when she passed, my dad gave it back to me and it's a treasured piece. As I think about her, I remember exactly where it was in her office. But I, I just have to tell you that uh, a piece like this, those of you that work with wood or work with painting or work with pottery, work with sewing, different kinds of things we do with our hands, know that there's often a lot more than meets the eye, right? I think about, uh, uh, did, did either of you, by the way, write that song? That, uh, okay, so, But I'm sure deciding who's coming in when, how are you going to do this this way, and how do our phrasing work together, and, you know, it takes practice. There's a lot more to it than just standing up and doing it, right? I think about, actually, the artistry that goes into, you know, thank you very much, Juan Carlos, for all the days that you have led us behind the scenes. It looks like it just happens, you know, naturally, without any problem, but there's a lot of work that goes behind that you don't see. And that's true very much for something like this. all all of the joinery that's involved, dovetail work, and all those little pieces that happen. In fact, I brought another piece, it's actually parts of two pieces, right here. This is something I'm making for my wife. There are actually two tables identical to this, but the thing is that you might not be able to realize from where you sit is that this piece is not finished. Now, it's, you could probably tell because it doesn't have good um, a good uh, coat of finish on it. If you came up a little closer, you'd realize actually that still needs to be sanded even. Um, and if you were to do much of anything with it, of course, here's the drawer front, so you know the drawer is wildly unfinished. Um, but beyond that, there's no glue, no nail, nothing going on holding this. It's just, it's just stuck together. So if I gave it a good little kick or a shove, it would fall completely apart. Because much of its design is made, like these pieces from the other one, where there'd be a little tenon that actually fits into a mortise, and so it can kind of be put together kind of like a Lego set, right? But this is a a lot of work yet to happen on this thing, even though it can look from a distance. Isn't this true of our lives? (laughs) It can look from a distance like it's all finished, but in truth, it's very unfinished. A lot of work yet to go. And we, I mean, we, we comb our hair, we dress as if we're finished. But from the inside out, we know that we're unfinished, that there's more to come. A lot of other kinds of things that we'll show you today through the course of this. And I want you to, you know, that, that, uh, that QR code, if you want to take a look at one of the artifacts, uh, please, please do that. Uh, one that you won't find there. I hold in my possession right here. Donna brought this for me. And I did discover, Jim, that she actually gave it to me. I wasn't sure. I'm going to tip it just ever so slightly toward you and then take it back. I I wasn't clear. I asked if maybe because she had baked me an apple pie before. And oh, my goodness. So I said, man, I would love. I mean, I, I think of it as art if you would make another one of those pies for me. I didn't actually confirm that she was making it to give to me, though. So this morning when she brought it, I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure whose possession that this will go home. I'm not sure. So I began speaking very passionately, straight over top of it. And uh, no, she, she, had, she had brought it for me. Sometimes, and especially at church, we can it so easily, f- seemingly represent that artistry, that the craft, that the the gifts of God are primarily speaking in ways that we would call preaching or playing an organ or a guitar or singing a special musical number. I want to suggest to you, as you walk into this place, you come today as an artist. Ah, I'm not creative. Some people are, some people aren't. No, I'm going to guess that there is something about who you are and what you do that if we really drill down, Tom, one of my good friends in finance, (laughs) you can be creative in finance just as much as you can be telling a children's story just as much as you can singing a song. I'm going to suggest you come here as an artist called by God to be creative. So let's take a look at a few uh, a few items that I pulled, culled, from what we have here, and uh, partly because they're so different, one from another. Here's an example. This is the frame of a kayak. You'll notice some names connected to these photos as well. I'm not sure if that's a pergola or just a, a, an outdoor structure. I'm not sure the pure definition of pergola. Uh, how about these little? pieces of toy trains or another piece of furniture here. Plenty of quilts and afghans and all sorts of artistry there or how about a series of wreaths bringing cheer to the home and then there are these. Yeah. I have a special place in my heart. I think there might be a special part of heaven reserved for Legos. <clears throat> uh, I, 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 If you wonder about the nature of God, keep this in mind. Children loved to come to him. And I think he might be found on a Sabbath afternoon with Legos dumped across a carpeted floor on his belly talking about and creating. Or how about these items? Plenty of them. Tasty good. Here's for my friend Franklin, who is exploring his artistry of brick oven pizza making. Yes, it's an art. Undeniable. These items arranged, repurposed to be the pieces of love. Here's one that was sent in from some years ago that currently still sits. You could probably walk to it from here. A piece of art there. Henry Coleman sends this in. Or how about this, that Ben sent probably zeros and ones somewhere along the way. Some coding. Ah, very often what we fail to see as art is shrouded in the fact that we don't know it, we don't understand it, or we haven't looked at it that way. Of course, there are plenty of pictures and paintings, drawings, and sometimes it's not just the representation, but it's the arrangement of notions. A family member tossed into the air, or a greeting card, part of the human body, a book that is written, Or how about this? I love this. How about a garden? I love the idea of gardening as art. And then I I was just so delighted by this. I don't know if he's still here. He was at the earlier service. I came up from Atlanta, a friend who, who, because of being related to a family member of our church and hearing that this was art Sabbath, decided, hey, He's a professional artist. I'd love to be involved. Let me send in some some of my work. The item on the right is a six-foot brass uh, sculpture, apparently. I don't know if you call it sculpture. I'm out of my league on this, but I'm certainly transfixed by it. So our hearts lean to art and creativity. Have you ever thought? When one human being says something that appropriately causes another person to chuckle or laugh, art has just happened. When a parent figures out how to react creatively to the needs of a child, it could be putting together a family budget that works creativity and art. It's all around us. And it comes from God. And not all of it is still, like this pie for now is. Some of it is moving. And we had a, uh, I, I stumbled upon a little animated short film by some of our students at Southern that they turned in for a project this last month and got permission that we could show it to you here. It's pretty short, but I wanted you to see it uh, because I think it's lovely and it, it, it embodies the heart of creativity. And by the way, it required quite a number of individuals to make it happen. Sometimes, sometimes art and creativity simply cannot be done alone as the kind of art required for people like me to become the body of Christ, which requires people like you. That we together are able to live out the symphony of the life of Jesus Christ is mind-blowing. And so I'm gonna play this short, uh, this short I'll give you a couple of little thoughts about it. Partly, um, and there will be some, a, a, a section at the very end where the students themselves describe why they wanted to do this and how they did it, but it might be a little bit small, so I'll give you a little heads up. In this time of COVID, they wanted to represent the challenges that they experience as students and others do as well of connecting, sometimes misunderstanding, feeling the distance, and then those brief glimpses into the power and the capacity of human beings to connect. So we'll play this for you here. we we'll maybe dim the lights a little bit so you can see it and hear it well. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you read it there in that brief description the students put together. Let others know they are not alone. What a delightful sentiment. And art and creativity. Some of my favorite artists are the children among us. Those who have not uh, been bound up by convention as we sometimes are you see here, or how about this? I, uh, I love the claymation depiction of a family tree. That's awesome. <laughs> you are creative. Maybe you have misunderstood. Maybe you have said before of yourself, I'm not creative, as if it's a commodity that certain people have and other people don't. You're born with it or you're not. I want to argue with that and argue about that ever so briefly in a way that I think will be palatable to you as we continue this saga through the book of Job, concluding this unfinished segment. We'll go first though to calibrate and pray over Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44 verse 24 says this, the writer, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself. I am the Lord who made all things. Earlier in that same chapter, the second verse, this is what the Lord says. Your redeemer who formed you in the womb. Same mirrored expression. And who will help you? Do not be afraid. Could there be a message hidden, baked in, to the notion of a creator God that could meet the troubles and the worries of Job's day? And maybe mine. Father, thank you very much for your love for us. We thank you for creation. We thank you for your creative power. We thank you for the creativity of those that are around us that we see in the sculptures and the paintings and the dresses and the kayaks and apple pie. Thank you for your creative power. Speak to us, and Lord, in the midst of that, maybe your message that you will help us is somehow more believable, so come. In answer to your promise, come. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Well, we'll go first to Job for just a couple of moments, if you don't mind. Uh, And as we go to Job, I'm gonna encourage you to consider job chapters thirty eight through forty two if you if you think back the story of Job, things start just fine and grand and wonderful and Job is an upright man and he is wealthy and he has all sorts of weighty kind of reputation he has crops, he has flocks he has herds he has you know, homes, and he has children. It's just, it's all wonderful, and then quickly it gets derailed, and tragedy befalls him. And next thing you know, by chapter three, he is in a dust heap with his head shaven, and he's got sores, and he's just, it's a mess. His story is a mess. It's problem on top of problem on top of problem. Just like the individual friend who came and talked with me yesterday. Problem, big enough just all on its own, on top of problem, on top of problem. And Job, his message throughout is, I demand, I, Lord God, I want to talk to you. I want to hear your voice. If only I knew where you dwell. If I knew where you live, that I could come to where you are. I want some answers. I need some help making it through this. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And I don't know how I'm going to make it. And somebody here either has felt that very recently or has a friend who has said those exact words. I don't know how I'm going to make it anymore. I don't know how I can go on in this. But somehow, clingingly, Job hangs on to the notion that God would speak, would honor him by coming to him. And then, after a number of conversations with friends that go into wild and different directions. Finally, the 38th chapter, God comes, and God comes in a storm. God comes in a power. God comes in fullness. And if you read it a certain way, the way you will read this is God comes scoldingly. God comes and says, you silly little man. Who do you think you are asking for my presence in this way? Who do, who, what right do you, uh, you, what have you done? If you read it in a certain way, you can, it can all add up to that. For instance, if you consider these words of the fourth verse, where were you when I laid earth's foundation? It sounds scolding and in your face and, and calculated to shut down Job. Ah, but by the 42nd chapter of Job, Job will talk as if he is now satisfied. And not the kind of satisfied that happens when a person just realizes, no, I gotta shrink back. No, no, he says some version of, ah, I now feel better. I now get something I was struggling with before. You have helped me. And after that, God will say, yes, and by the way, friends, Job's the one who is speaking correctly of me. So if we were to read the 38th through the 41st chapter of Job with the understanding that by the end of it, Job is going to come with this reflection that God actually satisfied him, then what are these words that satisfy him? What is it that God says to him that is satisfying? And I wonder if it might be satisfying in some way if we could grapple with it for you for me. So where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Implication, you were not yet around at all. In the 12th verse, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Unwritten, because I have, and I do. The 18th verse, have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Of course not but I am its comprehension. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Or he will talk about hail or lightning and thunder. Do you know these things? You know of these things, but do you know how it all works, Job? You don't know how it all works, do you? Of course you don't. And again, this is not God scolding. This is God leading somewhere. Where is he going? Where is he headed? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? The end of the 38th chapter, he will transition to talking about animals and created beings. He'll talk about lionesses and lions. He will talk about uh, mountain goats. And he will talk about does and donkeys and oxen. And he'll talk about ostriches and storks and hawks and eagles. All of it asking, is this something you're capable of? because I am capable of. And then in a twist that often gets argued about in terms of what it is that he's even talking about, God will go on in the 41st, uh, 39th, 41st chapter to talk about the behemoth that he makes and the Leviathan in the deep. Could you hook the Leviathan and fish it in? No, you couldn't. You don't... So on the one hand, yes, God is saying there are places you haven't been, there are things that you haven't done. He's also saying the one who has done all of this is here with you now, is standing before you, chooses to come and talk with you. The one who has made all things is here. And by the time he is done, Job's response will be in the second verse, I know that you can do all things. Somehow, this notion of God's creative power transmits into Job this sentiment of relief. Could it be that Job, as he is contemplating all of his troubles and all of his problems and the way things have been going terribly, horribly, ridiculously, unsalvageably wrong, that he has lost touch with a God who has the power to create and to recreate. And God shows up and he says, look, I made constellations. I spoke the dew today. I I know where every bird is on this planet and I see you and I come to you, and I would draw near to you, and I want you to know something. I have all that power, and I have said I am helping and will help you. And Job, upon realizing all of this kind of calibration of the power of God, and that he would stop What he's doing to come and speak to him in the midst of his trouble is relieved and satisfied and believes and knows that the power that goes into the burning of the sun that gives oxygen to the day, this same power is able to recreate and restore and salvage my life. And I don't know how he's going to do it or when exactly he's going to do it, what the sequence will be, but I can now believe again. No wonder, no wonder those most bent on shifting our understanding of God, shifting us away to any other or some other worldview, their main attack will not be on what happens when you die, will not be even so much about whether Jesus was real or not, it will be of whether God created this earth and you. Because when I grasp that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, when it comes upon me that this could be true, it starts to dawn on me that he has power to recreate my circumstances too. It fills me with hope that he would, who made all these things for me, would also be willing to remake me. It's got to be a terrifying notion to the devil himself that we would fully grasp the creative power of the living God who says, I love you and I am rescuing you. Now, one of the challenge points of this is not only that he created in some time past or will create in some time future, but that he is creating, that he is making now. Do you recall it? This notion of being unfinished. Um, Anybody who's made much of anything knows what it is like to have things in the process and to be able to see what they will become. When other people can't see it, I could have brought all these pieces and parts here today, but you would have had no idea where this is headed, really, unless you do this kind of thing, and even then, in a stack of wood sitting on the floor, what would it even be? But to be able to see that there is, in fact, on this top, which is barely noticeable right now, if sanded and if, if stained and if oiled and polished up, you'd be seeing a very amazing and unique figure, that's what this is right here, it's figure in the wood, some sort of quilting in the walnut, which is not typical of walnut. See, I can see it. I could see it when it was in rough lumber because of the way the, the, way the grains of the rough lumber looked like the fur of an animal who's a little scared. But that doesn't mean everybody would be able to see it. That God can see the you that he is making you into, even when in my desperation I can't see it. Fascinatingly, in the very last book, we're going to take a, just a look at a verse in the very last book of Scripture, and then we're going to go all the way to the other end. But you remember this, don't you? This language from Revelation chapter 21, right at the end, right at the very end still of what it seems like is this, whole discussion, God will call out in the Lamb's voice. He will say, I am making all things new. Don't lose track of the word making. It's interesting that God does not say, I have made some time ago. All of my making is done. No, no, no. Even in this new world setting, I am making All things new. One wonders about what that making even fully consists of. But it is the making of rescue. It is the making of the version of you. He can see that so often we cannot. It is the making that transforms our sufferings into joy, as Paul would say. Well, let's do it, if you don't mind. Let's, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter one. How could we talk about creativity and not get to Genesis chapter one? You remember the very first verse, of course. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. As far as time goes that we know anything about God is a creative power, a creative powerhouse, a creative being. And we struggle to even grasp what it would all even mean. By the way, the word created here, the Hebrew word bara, is this idea of making something out of nothing. And I don't know who you think you are, how far down you have traveled into a pit of depression and self-loathing, or self-talk, or maybe other people have jumped right on board to try to convince you of your worthlessness that you are a nothing. Even if, in fact, you were a nothing, we serve a God who makes things out of nothing. So we're perfect for his power. No wonder he'll say things like, I I love to show my strength by partnering with your weakness. Because I make things out of nothing. Not only will he speak, C.S. Lewis says, sing, in The Magician's Nephew, a book in the series The Chronicles of Narnia, he sings all of these things into being. He makes, he speaks, he breathes. And there are wind and waves, there are skies and stars, there are animals and birds and then there is man. And when it comes to this moment, don't miss it because I fear sometimes we miss this notion Genesis 1 is all about creativity, but it's not about just creativity on the part of God, it's also a call to creativity if you are one of his creatures as a human being. In that 26th verse, God is having a conversation with God. God says, let us make man in our image in our likeness. So we are going to create, we're going to create man as some version of our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And it shouldn't escape you that if the creator creates in his image, there's going to be some creativity that he invests in that particular image. Not a surprise. But lest we would somehow miss it, we're reminded of the creative power that he gives to mankind in a couple of different ways. First of all, he's going to say, be fruitful and multiply. He's going to give us the opportunity to create in our image as well. Fascinating. But then there's this little bit of story from the next chapter, chapter 2 of Genesis. You recall it. God has done all these creative things, but his creation is not finished. I don't know how many of you uh, have, have created something uh, for me, if I'm putting a sermon together, uh, and I, I probably would not trust somebody else to give it a title. If, if you were to write a story, and you, you know, sometimes publishers want to put a name they choose on the book, that would be disquieting to me. It's not, it's not done until it's named. And God has created all sorts of things. And then in the 19th verse of Genesis chapter 2, it says that God, in part, by the way, so that the hunger of partnership and the hunger for Eve would grow in his heart, God leads all the animals and the birds all past Adam and says, what I want you to do is I want you to name these creatures. Probably, I don't know how many of you have been involved in a brainstorming session. <clears throat> Can you imagine how it would feel for us to say, uh, you know, okay, so right here, you're going to be our namer for the day, and what we're going to do is we're just going to wander around the rest of us with notebooks, and you're just going to blurt out names for everything you see. Let's go. Do it everything. You would, you'd start to run aground somewhere along the way, just trying to come up with new noises and sounds for things that weren't already in existence. Of course, Adam doesn't have a problem of mimicking something. This is pretty much day one of his, his being. and he's asked to be this kind of creative. And God, by the way, don't miss the language. God sees Adam's creativity as a part of the adventure of God's heart. Notice the words. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man, and then notice, to see what he would name them. To see what he would name them. Do you know, I was thinking about this, having a conversation with a creative that is a part of our church here in 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 between the services, and... Just thinking about the writing of the Bible, God's Word written by human beings. And I wonder if it might be appropriate to park that at the very beginning of the whole writing of Scripture that God drew near, having shared his story with human beings, to see how they would write it. Some of us think that God dictates all this stuff, kind of like God would be there breathing the right answer. That's a giraffe. That's a giraffe. Giraffe. No, no. God draws near to see. God draws near to your life, to my life, to see our artistry, to see our creativity, to see how we would live out his life in us. He is curious about you and about me. Now, some of us have deeply ingrained, this notion that there are creatives and there are people who are not creative. But I want to suggest to you that the story of Genesis is a part of the clue pattern that says you are meant to be creative. And there is some area of your life that we could likely drill down in and notice artistry. I, um, <clears throat> I've taught a lot about creative problem solving, strategic thinking, this sort of thing. One of the things that I stumbled upon was a, uh, a book describing some studies on divergent thinking. It's a book called Breakpoint and Beyond. Uh, Land and Jarman did, conducted this study. Let me tell you about the study and what it reveals or suggests to me. The idea of divergent thinking would be if I handed you a paperclip and I or held out a paperclip and I say, well what all could you do with this paperclip? Some people would say, well you can clip paper, you could you could actually you could actually use it as a tie pin, you could do, yep, but some would quickly think, well you didn't say it had to be that paperclip. What if it's a styrofoam paperclip? I could actually make insulation in the walls out of it. I could what if it's a huge paper clip? we could boil it down and make tanks or i don't know what all, what all we could you know actually the ideas are endless once you bust out of the pattern and you diverge from the shape of things that you have inherited or you have been given to think about so what what they did is they took children starting in the age range of 3 to 5 years of age now what they did was all the data i'm going to share there were 2500 children 3 to 5 who not only took this divergent-thinking genius aptitude inventory at three to five years of age, but then stuck with it. Some dropped out. But 2,500 did it the first testing, and five years later at the second testing, and five years after that at the third testing, over the course of about 11 years. And so here's what they noticed. Studying three to five-year-olds, the 2,500 that did it all the way along the whole study, They were testing to see what percentage would score genius levels on divergent thinking. And what do you imagine it might have been? Almost all. 98% of children scored this kind of divergent thinking genius. Five years later, same group, same inventory. So now they are 8 to 10 years of age, and they score 32%. Five years after that, they're now 13 to 15 years of age, and it has dropped all the way down to 10 percent. During that 11-year span of time, this team also administered this same inventory on divergent thinking genius to 250,000 individuals that were 25 or older. What do you imagine their level of divergent thinking genius? What percent would score genius in divergent thinking? Would you imagine? Well, won't be surprising seeing the trend that it's 2%. These are the folks, see these are the folks who would say, I'm not creative, when at this age they would have said, yes, I am. Social scientists tell us that every child up to age about three sings, draws, and dances, if they're normally functioning. How many adults do you know who are my age who sing, <laughs> draw, and dance? It is an ever-losing battle, it would seem, in our society. We rehearse a life of less and less creativity. I wonder if we, who are called to be the body of Jesus Christ, the body of the creator on earth, Jesus is the one that John chapter 1 would say all things were created through him. Are you prepared to be the body through which all things are created? We just said a few minutes ago that the creative power that God kind of cracks open and just discusses with Job is enough to satisfy him that his difficulty and trouble and problem will subside, that this is the remaker of my future. I am satisfied. I know you can do all things. You can surely rearrange my life to a place that would be good. What does it say of that same God if his body on earth is not creative and does not have crackling through its veins the creativity of the creator God? Should it possibly be the most creative place you could step foot into to be the place where worshipers of the Almighty God come together? And yet somehow, More and more, we have given off this vibe when we're not careful that church is the place you come uh, to just kind of get put in a spot very carefully. Not to innovate, not to create, not for artistic expression, and yet we serve the powerful creator of all things. Amazing. One of my favorite quotes is from a book called Education by Ellen White, and she says this, every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. And what is that power? Individuality, uniqueness. Now, individuality isn't the same thing as creativity, just like divergent thinking isn't the same thing as creativity. But individuality and our individualized view of what's going on in the world is the spark from which creativity comes. Someone will tell you exactly how to parent your children, but your children are not their children. And there will never be children like yours. And so God draws you to the creative place with individual power to think and to do. See, it's the men and women in whom this power is developed. This is a power that has to be developed, because if you don't develop it, you'll go from 98% to 2%. You'll be a parrot of the world around you. And then we cannot have you reading books that have written by people that we might disagree with because you're going to just parrot whatever comes in next. We can't rub shoulders with individuals in the world who are lost because you're going to just go with that. You've, You've lost your ability to challenge, to be an individual. But God says... You know, it's in those of us, I've given you this incredible power, I I made you in my image, the capacity to be creative, to be highly unique and individualized. No wonder you can put your eye to a scanner and, and there's only one you. And in the telling of the gospel story, if you don't step up and share from the artistry of your life, who Jesus is, no one else can replace that iris that you have. It's the men and women in whom this power is developed that are the men and women who bear responsibility to leaders in enterprise and influence, character, difference makers, might we say, who have any shot at evangelizing a world to Jesus Christ. And that quote finishes with one that I've heard often enough, especially around educational institutions like ours is here at the university church, caring deeply about the educational process from our school system through university and beyond. The quote would finish this way, it's the work of true education to develop this power of individuality, uniqueness, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. We're going to bolt. On into life, leaving the book of Job behind for a time, feeling that there was more to do. <laughs> it's unfinished. If we probe into your life and into mine, we can see that there's more sanding to be done. There's more stain to be applied. There there may be some parts that are missing, frankly, but there is a pattern. There's something that's going on. God is making you. And he is calling me out. He's calling you out to be makers right alongside him. And for one, it will be furniture. For another, it will be a painting. For another, it might be a dress. And yet another, an apple pie or code on a computer, or it could be financial decision-making. It could be figuring out how to say the thing that needs to be said to a person who is hurting. Art. I've grown, by the way, through the course of these, these talks, more and more respectful of the incredible comp- capacities of those who conduct their lives counseling other people through tragedy, difficulty, and trauma. And boy, is that art. The art of listening. The art of knowing when to be quiet and when to speak. The art of understanding how to ask a question that cracks open. How to make somebody feel comfortable just by eye contact. Creativity. And art, I hope, that you are seeing that God's call to our creativity goes much more broadly than playing an organ or preaching a sermon. It is for you. It is for me. And could it be that when we step up and we allow God to work creatively through us and we engage and embrace the creative calling that he has placed on our lives, could it be that in those moments, God as a creator is more believable? And might it be that if our world knew for sure there is a creator God, that they might be better able to believe that he is attempting their rescue. I love, I love that uh, <clears throat> the first time in Scripture the Holy Spirit is given for some purpose of God's, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love when it happens. I'm going to put, actually, as I tell you this, I'm going to put this on the screen again. It's that QR code. It's that bit.ly reference. So that if by chance you want to go looking or you're going to submit something to church at southern.edu, which I'd love it if you kept populating that, you'll know where to go and get that. But as I, as I tell you this, it's in the book of Exodus, ironically, way before that New Testament discussion about some are given the gift of, of preaching or teaching or Maybe you've been given the gift of hospitality, or maybe you've been given the gift of prayer, or, 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 or. The very first time in Scripture that I find that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift that changes what a person is capable of being and doing is in Exodus chapter 31. You find reference to it as well in Exodus chapter 35, 36. But here it is. I have filled him... He's just named a couple of people who are responsible for some of the creation of priestly vestments and different parts of the, the tabernacle that is going to be carted through the wilderness and so forth. I've filled them with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs. It's no wonder children love a Sabbath like this. I had one mother tell me today that she was getting uh, her family ready and there were some others, other family was visiting too and so they were struggling a little bit with being on time and and her daughter said, Mom, it's Art Sabbath. It should never not be Art Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because I created all things. Before you ever were, I created. And if I created all of this for you, surely I would recreate you. Ah, behold, I make all things new and so much more frightening is that God says and then and then I ask you in come stand with me come create with me I'm gonna give my creation to you to speak creative power to speak artistry over and I will give you my spirit and my spirit will be all about creativity. Maybe we've wrongly missed this piece in the New Testament description of the gifts of the Spirit, that it is a spirit of creativity, a spirit of innovation, a spirit of individuality. Divergent thinking from the world around us that you are capable of, some of us have been stopped up against being our fullest creative selves, thinking about what we could do, or be, or love. Others of us have just reworded it because we were told that's not actually creative. God is calling you through his spirit, calling me through his spirit. And yep, an awful lot of what we're up to is unfinished, wildly unfinished. For this God who says, behold, I am making all things new, Paul would also say, but he, he who began something good is going to carry it on to completion. It's just like Jesus would say in John chapter 14. If I would go to prepare a place for you, duh, I'm coming back. If I would start this work in you, of course. I want to complete this in you. So. Job, amidst your difficulty, even terror, as the sun shines on another day, ask yourself, who made the sun? He's the one who's talking to me. As you breathe in the air, notice the one who has made your lungs to breathe is talking to you. And as you struggle in a world that says there is no God, there is no creator, it's all just a big, fluky mess, hear the piercing, booming voice of God say, oh, where were they? (laughs) Where were they when I laid the foundations of the world? (laughs) How could they not know? Who is it? that gives birth to a baby goat and knows exactly how that works. Yeah, they weren't there, so no wonder. And by the way, if you, my people, don't stand up in the creative power of the creative creator himself, maybe they're still not going to know. Maybe they're still not going to know that their life was meant for so much more. For surely if I'm going to prepare, I will come back for you. For surely if I started a work, I'm a finisher, God would say. It's unfinished right now, but I am the closer. I'll get this thing done. So whatever you're going through, whatever the challenge is, if you would hold on to the story of Job, who in his encounter with God, pleadingly, his encounter with God, would come over to the other side of that conversation and say, I am just, I am convinced you are able, all things are possible with you. And so my life submitted to you, I have a different story than what I was imagining. And it's not over. You get to write the end of it. Lord God, for every piece of delicious Apple pie, (laughs) we praise your name. For the brush strokes, the photographs, for nature itself, for all the creative beauty around us, for the expression of storytelling, whether through a pot or an expression to little children. Whether it be Legos or the balancing of budgets during uncertain times. Lord God, sing through us in your creative power and as you do, may we be a symphony, a body of believers artistically representing to the world, the God of all creation, that we are not alone, that we are not left here to die, but we are in the midst of being rescued by the one who says, look, I am making all things new in Jesus.